All right, so over the next few weeks, we're going to be going through the book of Titus, and uh, one of the things that I want to do, and anytime I preach through a book, I always try to get the big picture whenever I'm studying it, and then uh, try to get the, in, you know, in my mind, what the original intent of the letter was, and the original intent of the text, and I think that always helps kind of get the best understanding uh, whenever you're looking at uh, different passages. And, you know, one thing we need to understand we were talking about this a little bit yesterday in leadership training. It's okay to, to look for a line or to take a verse or a statement that states a clear teaching or a principle and just preach a whole sermon on that. It's totally fine to do that. In fact, in this one chapter, I mean, there's many verses in here. We could just preach a whole sermon just on that. And a lot of, and I've preached a lot of sermons from just, you know, one verse and one passage from here in this. But at the same time, when we go through this book, uh, right now, this is almost kind of all going to be one message that I'm just going to, that's going to have three parts because, and there's something very important that I want us to get. There's one main lesson that I'm, while we, we're going to learn a lot while going through this book, there's one main lesson I want everybody to get from this. And so let's go ahead and start going through Titus 1 and we'll get to uh, the main point of tonight's message. But it says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And I love this verse here because the hope, our hope of eternal life, it's based completely on the promise of God, isn't it? The, the hope that we have, it's not based in any experience that we've had. It's not based on some, you know, Holy Ghost feeling that we had. It's not based on any works that we did or some vision that we saw. You know, the hope of our salvation, it's based on the promise of God, a promise that it says that he gave before the world began. So that's exciting to me because to me, this is just a good proof text for, you know, those of us who believe salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, not of works. For those of us who believe in one salvation throughout all the ages, who reject dispensational salvation, it shows us here that salvation is something that was promised before the world began. So that means before Adam. The salvation that we have was something that was promised by God, but throughout time, God revealed more and more of that plan, didn't he? And there's still things we have to learn about that salvation. For example, none of us know exactly what that changed body that we're going to have is going to look like. We don't really know what it's like to be resurrected. We don't know what it's like to have a glorified body. We don't know what it's like to look into the face of Jesus Christ. We don't know what it's going to be like to look in the face of God the Father someday. So there's a lot of things that we've yet to experience about our salvation. But at the same time, if you believe on Christ today, you have salvation. And we ha and it, But our salvation that we have now... It's, it's by faith, and it's based completely on the promise of eternal life that God gave before the world began. And you know, and so the, the fact, too, that our salvation is based on the promise of God, a God who it specifically says cannot lie, that tells me that it's impossible for those of us who have believed to go to hell. No matter how hard we tried, we could not go to hell. Why? Because salvation, it's based on the promise of God to those who believe. And so it's set, it's secure, it's done, it's a done deal. And we're just waiting for the full package. That's all there is to it. But we have the promise of it. And therefore, it's eternal security all the way. Anyone who rejects eternal security, heretic. End of the story. You know, salvation, anybody who doesn't believe in eternal security teaches work salvation. 
There's no doubt about that. They are trusting in themselves. No doubt about that whatsoever. But verse 3 says, But it hath in due times, <clears throat> so God promised salvation before the world began, but it hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So understand, while the promise of salvation and the hope of eternal life, while that promise was given before the world began, that promise has been manifested throughout time. That promise has been manifested specifically through preaching. There's things that was preached in the Old Testament that manifested the promise of God, that revealed the promise of God, Something that was not known yet at that time. There's things that, you know, they learned about salvation, you know, through Moses, through the things that Moses preached, and through, through the things that Moses taught. Those things revealed some things about salvation. For example, you know, Moses prophesied of a prophet that was going to come that was like unto him. You know, God, that was something God told him. I'm going to send a prophet like unto you talking about Jesus Christ. Those who believed on that prophet that was to come while they didn't know the name of Jesus Christ, if they believed in that prophet that was to come, they believed in Jesus Christ, didn't they? And so God revealed a little more during that time. Now, Abraham didn't know all those details that they learned through Moses. But understand, as that plan was being revealed throughout time, it was a plan that had been given or that was known of God before the world began. And it's important that we understand that because dispensationalism teaches that, you know, the salvation we have today, it was like plan B. God's the salvation going to the Gentiles, it was plan B. Plan A didn't work, plan B, all right, I guess the Jews couldn't get saved by works. So you know what, I guess we'll go into a new dispensation where I save the Gentiles without works. Well, that sounds real fair, doesn't it? That's okay, though, because God's going to go, after he takes us out of here, he's going to go back to the Jews and give them a chance to get saved by works again. Even though it never worked before, they had 2,000 years to get salvation by works, and it never worked, but they're going to get it in seven years. That's garbage, folks. That is some really bad doctrine. The salvation that we have is the salvation that was promised before the world began. God has just revealed more of that throughout time. So when you, if we don't go to the Old Testament, and we don't, if we don't, or if when we see Abraham getting saved by faith without works in the Old Testament, which we do, but we don't see G, uh, Abraham talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ by name. It doesn't mean he got saved in another way. All he had to do was have faith in what had been revealed to him at that time. He just had to believe that God would provide himself a lamb. Oh, that's not, you know, that, that doesn't say Jesus, but guess what? That was Jesus. That lamb that was promised that God would provide, it was Jesus Christ. If Abraham believed in that, he believed in Jesus Christ. And I've preached this many times, but this is just another proof text for it that just destroys dispensational salvation. So I believe, too, that when Paul's talking about how God manifested his word through preaching, I think specifically he's talking about how the Old Testament has been revealed and is now understood through preaching. Because you realize a large portion of the New Testament is quoting the Old Testament. A large portion of it. In fact, Stephen's sermon that he preached, that entire sermon is him just going through the history of the Old Testament. He's preaching the Old Testament the whole time. In fact, Paul's epistles, the book of Romans, where Paul is teaching salvation, he is constantly referring back to the Old Testament. He's constantly quoting the Old Testament. 
He's talking about Abraham. He talks about David. He's giving example after example. In the book of Galatians, he does the same thing. You know what he's doing? The, the epistles of Paul is Paul preaching from the Old Testament. But, and the th- but the things that Paul was preaching, the things that he was writing down that he's revealing are things that were in the Old Testament, but were not fully understood. And that's why we see examples, too, where the Ethiopian eunuch, okay? Now, I disagree with the idea that you can't get saved just by reading the Bible, okay? I disagree with that. And what people often go to, they'll go to the Ethiopian eunuch, and where he's reading the book of Isaiah, where he was led as a lamb to slaughter, as a sheep before shears is dumb. And he read that, and he didn't understand it. But then you know what? Philip preached to him, Jesus, but he preached to him from the Old Testament, and through preaching, the Old Testament was revealed to that Ethiopian eunuch, and he got saved. So the thing is, if I'm reading the book of Acts, and I read the preaching of Philip, then I got, I got saved through preaching. If I'm reading the book of Romans, which is Paul preaching the Old Testament okay, to the Romans, if somebody reads that and they understand it and they believe it and they get saved, they got saved through preaching. Doesn't matter, you know, just because they didn't hear it audibly, if they read it, then they heard it, if they understood it. And so that's why a deaf person can get saved. Because, you know, they need to, they have to hear. Well, yes, that but that means you have to understand. Okay? He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's not Jesus discriminating against deaf people. There's people who have hard hearts and who are, they are stubborn and they don't want to believe these things. And so, yes, when it comes to the Old Testament, you know, it is a lot harder. You know, it's easy for us to look back now and see, you know, the gospel all over there. But I can see why it would have been difficult for them back then. You know, when we go back and we read, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our, he was upon him, with his stripes we are healed. I can see why back in Isaiah's day when they're reading that, they're like, "Mm, I don't really get all this. But as long as they believed what had been revealed at that time, they were good. But now, okay, and, and, and after Jesus died, if somebody's just reading that in the Old Testament, like the Ethiopian eunuch, I don't think they're going to understand it unless somebody preaches to them. And so that preaching that God used to save those that believe, that's written in our New Testament, and it's guys preaching from the Old Testament. And these things, uh, and, and God revealed his word, the Old Testament, through preaching. And I'm thankful that we have that preaching today. And I'm thankful these things are written for us, and we can now understand them. The Old Testament is open to us. It is clear to us. Thank God for that. And so that, uh, and there's many examples we can go to. Uh, I mean, just over and over again, we see it all the time where in the New Testament, they're preaching from the Old Testament. They're just, and they're doing that to show this is what God has always promised. That's their way of saying, hey, don't just take my word for it. This is what the word of God says, because you know what? The Old Testament is the word of God. And so is the New Testament. And, And the Old Testament does not contradict the New Testament. The New Testament, though it does reveal the Old Testament to us in a way that had not been revealed before. And so I don't think some Jew's going to get saved just by reading the Old Testament. I think he's going to need to read the New Testament too. Or somebody's going to have to preach to him from the Old Testament and preach Jesus Christ. Then they would get saved. I don't think, I don't think any Jew would get saved just from reading the Old Testament. I don't. But I believe if he'd read the New Testament 
and believe it, and he'd get all that preaching, he would get saved. But anyway, so verse 4 says, To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior, for this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So notice now, you know, this first part that we've looked at has just been kind of introduction, okay? When we get to verse 4, all of a sudden now, I think we're kind of seeing why Paul wrote to Titus and the motivation for what Paul wrote to Titus. Because much of what, whenever you're reading the book of Corinthians or any of Paul's epistles, it's very easy to tell when you're reading the whole book that there was something that motivated what he was writing. You know, there were specific issues going on in that church. For example, in that Corinthian church, they had people in the church that shouldn't be there. And so that motivated Paul to write certain things. And it's the same thing too. Often preach sermons that I preach, they're not just, I'm not just preaching them because I'm preaching from a specific passage. Sometimes I preach things because something's going on. You know, there's something specifically I'm trying to deal with in the church. And so, you know, um, you know, circumstances kind of motivated what I preached and you all understand that. And so when we understand what motivated what was written, it can help us, I think, understand these passages a little better. And so what we see here is that Titus was somebody who had been left somewhere. He'd been left in Crete so he could set some things in order. You know what that tells me? There were some things in Crete that were out of order. Am I adding to the scripture when I say that? Okay. No, if he left him in Crete to set some things in order, that means some things were out of order. And then he says also to set in order the things that are wanting. That tells me they're lacking some things. Things that are wanting, that means in Crete amongst believers, there were some things missing that should have been there. And so Paul, he sends Titus there to set those things in order. And then he specifically mentions that you ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And then he goes on and he gives uh, some qualifications and, for, and some instructions on who he should ordain. So let me ask you, is it safe, am, I, am, am I adding to the scripture? Is it safe for me to assume that one of the motivations for what Paul is about to write here, or one of the things that were lacking, one of the things that were wanting in Crete was leadership. Does that make sense? Okay. They were lacking leadership. Now, that doesn't surprise me because from what we read in the book of Acts, I mean, the gospel's going all over the place. The gospel's spreading like wildfire. People, people are preaching everywhere. And so now there's this Christianity being preached is being preached in, you know, Gentile areas. These people aren't going to know hardly anything. They don't have the completed scriptures. They don't have Bibles ready that, that they can just give these people. They don't have the internet where they can watch good preaching and you know, CDs and all the things, the resources that we have today. So should we be surprised if, you know, the gospel, you know, some guy gets saved in Jerusalem and he runs back to, you know, Crete and he's going, he's preaching to everybody there and he's telling them about Jesus. Is it, you know, we would all say if he's preaching the right gospel to them, he's probably getting a lot of people saved, isn't he? But do we think that that guy who maybe learned a few things, got saved, and then goes and gets a bunch of other people saved there, do we think he's going to be ready to run a church? No, probably not. You know, he might have the best intentions. He might have the best heart. 
But there's going to be some things that are wanting. And so the Apostle Paul, you know, he's going, he's traveling to all these cities and he's finding these believers and they, you know, they love the Lord. They're doing their best, but there's some problems too. There's some things that are wanting, but notice the Apostle Paul, he didn't just go and condemn this group because of where, where they were lacking. You know what he did? He sent somebody there to say, hey, let's see if we can't fill the void that's there. Let's see if we can't fix the, and you know, we see the same thing too today where, you know, because of, you know, preaching on the internet and that all, oh, there's a lot of people out there who are getting saved. There's a lot of people that are in places where there, maybe there aren't any good churches, but yet we're seeing groups of soul owners pop up. People that have the right gospel. People who are saved. Now, think about this. Let's say you go and you, know, you get a bunch of people saved in a city and a bunch of people are watching a lot of preaching on the internet and a lot of people are learning things. These are good people. These are people that love the Lord. And then, but then maybe they go and they try to get organized a little bit and do something. You know, does anybody expect that we're just, one of these guys just going to step up and just start pastoring a church and everything be great. No, they, you know what they, these people need in these areas? They need leadership. And I, and I've been to some of these places before where there's good groups of people who love the Lord, who love good doctrine, who've learned some things and they're trying to get something going. They're trying to get a church established or maybe they have a group where they, and they're coming together, they're meeting together. And, you know, and, and a lot of these groups too that are out there, you know what they're doing because they are, have been, they are learning right from what they're hearing online. They're looking for leadership. They're looking for leadership. There's groups out there. Maybe they don't call themselves a church. Maybe they even do call themselves a church, but you know what? There's some things wanting, you know, and I, I've been to some of these places and as much as I am for what these people are doing, there's things that are wanting, but you know what I don't do is I don't go and because there's things that are wanting, just condemn them and try to shut them down. I don't want to do that. You know what I want to do? I'd like to see if there's something I can do to help. I'd like to see if there's a way that, hey, maybe we can help these people in the areas where they're wanting. Because I don't know if y'all realize this. Every church is a work in progress. Y'all understand that? You know, there's a lot of things that we're doing right this year that we weren't doing right last year. And there's a lot of things we... You know, we weren't doing right the year before that. And, you know, we, I think we're getting better. I think we're improving. But you know what? I'm glad, you know, when we were in our early years that we didn't have people going around and condemning everything we were doing because it wasn't the best. I'm glad that when we first started this church, I didn't have some preacher, guest preacher come in and find out that it was just, you know, my family going soul winning and then just start, you know, hammering all of us. You know, I'm glad there's people that were patient and tried to help and tried to, you know, just be an encouragement and they saw what could be rather than what was. And we need to make sure we understand that a lot of people they are doing too good at learning biblical facts only to just cream everybody that's lacking. And you know what? We can be supportive of people who are wanting. We can love people who have some issues, who are missing some things, who are falling short in some areas. We, we are allowed to do that. And until we're ready, in this, but if the thing is too, if we have nothing to contribute, if we have nothing to help, I don't see why we can't just shut up too. And you know, the apostle Paul, he didn't go and write this letter to Titus and just start bad mouthing all these people in Crete. No, he sent them there to fix what was wrong because there were some things that were wanting. And clearly one of the things that was wanting based on what we see here is leadership. 
And so let's go ahead and look at a few things about leadership. They were lacking proper leadership. Now, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but based on what I'm reading, you know, it's very possible that there was no leadership. Maybe they didn't have anybody running things. Maybe it was just kind of a free-for-all. I don't know. Or maybe they had leadership, but it was bad leadership. There was people who they were unqualified. You know, that's, that's very possible. And that happens a lot. You know, maybe there's a group where, you know, there's a guy, he's kind of running things. He's just, he's there. He's trying to fill a void. He's trying to do the best he can, but maybe he's lacking in some areas. He's wanting in some areas. You know, he doesn't, he's not completely qualified. You know, do we want to go start throwing stones at him or do we want to help him? You know, do we want to try to help him in the areas where they're wanting? And I, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of places like this. And I, man, I thank God when I find out about groups that are getting together, I mean, especially in some of these other countries that are out there. You know, I mean, I, there's a lot of people I know from other countries that, I mean, they do, they're saved. They love the Lord. They are doing everything that they possibly can. And you know, sometimes there, you know, there's some groups out there. They've done some things, you know, they're doing some things and, you know, they've asked my opinion. You know why? Because they're looking for leadership. And, you know, and I've told them, yeah, I don't think you ought to be doing that. You know, I think you should do this instead. And, you know, and they have a great, and, and, and I, I see that and I realize too, man, there is a void over there in these places. And, you know, and, and I'm, I'm praying for, you know, God to send leaders. I'm praying that, you know, God can use us to help in some of these areas. But you know what I'm not going to do when I find out they're doing something wrong? I'm not going to just, you know, lambast them and seek to destroy them. I'm going to, I want to help. And so uh, let's look at a few things here about this leadership. And so keep this in mind because this isn't, you know, Paul's telling Titus these things because obviously this was something that they needed to know there. So he sends this letter to him and then he goes on and he's telling him he wants them to ordain elders in every city. And you all know about these qualifications. I've preached whole messages on the qualifications. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I, I do want to highlight a few things though that I think are really important that often get overlooked, but, uh, so notice verse six says, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, now blameless, just briefly, you know, why do you think it would have been important, especially back then to be blameless? Because for one, Christians were always getting accused of stuff, weren't they? They were always being spoken of as evildoers. We see that, you know, Peter talked about that. There was a lot of persecution going on in that time. So it was very important that they were very above board and, you know, that they had somebody that it would be hard to say anything about them. They, God wanted them to have, you know, sound speech. God wanted them to make it so there was, there's just no evil thing that they could say of them. And so blameless is a very important thing. And, you know, and today, you know, in the age of the internet, in the age of the IFB being under a microscope because of perversion and things that have gone out there, like we talked about, I think it was on Wednesday, we want to make sure we are very above board on things. And it's very important that you are blameless and you don't have a bunch of skeletons in your closet and a bunch of, you know, past problems or just questionable things. That's just going to get you in trouble. It's going to get our church under the microscope and dealing with a bunch of stuff that we just don't want to deal with. So, you know, blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. You got to have a guy that can at least lead his family. If, If you can't lead a family, if you can't hang on to a wife, if you can't keep a promise, if you're breaking vows and divorcing your wife, how do we know we're going to be able to trust you as a leader in the church? How are you going to lead a church when you can't even lead a family? You know, 
the hardest thing about pastoring a church, the toughest thing about that job is the fact that we can't make, you know, we can't make anyone do anything. But we do need to be able to lead. We need to be able to inspire people to do things. And when it comes to pastoring, you know, the success of your job in many ways is based on what other people do. You know, it's not like if I'm working in a factory where, you know, it's just based on me doing my job. And I can go and I can do my thing and I can do it well and I'm fine. When you're pastoring, you know, that's not the case. You know, if you all just decide to just do nothing, you know what, then our church is going to do nothing. Because I can only do so much. So if, if I'm not, and so the thing is, if I'm not even able to lead a family, if I can't even get my family to do right, if, my, if I can't even get my kids to love the Lord, how am I going to get anybody else to love the Lord? If I can't get my children to submit who live in my home and I pay their bills, how is anybody, how am I going to get anybody in here to submit to me when I have no power over you? I'm not paying your bills. You know, you all are tithing to the church. So, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it's pointless. And I'm going to be, you know, and, and again, it's going to be a bad testimony too. You know, because as leader in the church, as the face of the church, if my family's a joke, my kids are in the police reports all the time, I'm making the whole, I'm going to make the whole church look bad. So these things are important. He says, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry. And that's important too, because there's a lot that can make you angry sometimes, Pastor. You know, there's things that get fired up all the time. Not given to wine. No striker, not given to filthy lucre. I talked about a lot about that the other day. That's one of the dangers for pastors, getting uh, motivated by the filthy lucre. You got to make sure it's somebody that's not going to do that, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Hey, you know what you need with a pastor? It's not just a guy that's super good at preaching or just got a whole lot of talent and charisma. You know, you want somebody too that's that's temperate. You want somebody that's balanced. You want somebody that's even tempered. You know, you, somebody that's just got some control of himself. That's a very important thing. And there's some people they they have no control over themselves. They have no control over their emotions. They have no control of their temper. They have no con- they have no control even in their own finances. They have they just they they can't control themselves. They are not a temperate person. And, you know, we, you need somebody that's balanced. You know, the showboat, you know, he can, he can bring a crowd in, but if he's not temperate, he'll eventually run that crowd off. You know, he might be, you know, he might be a great singer. He might be a great speaker. He might have all these things going for him, but at the end of the day, he's not going to last. And I've known a lot of guys that were, I mean, very impressive individuals in certain areas and they started churches, they took off and they crashed and burned just as fast as they exploded. And that's, that's not what we want. We want somebody that's going to be in it for the long haul. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. Okay, no, we don't talk about this one enough here. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. It's important that anyone who is a leader is somebody who has proved himself faithful in what he's been taught. Not somebody who just figured out everything themselves and didn't need anybody. Okay, you know what that that guy that just figured out everything himself and just you know he knows everything based on his own study and what he's done. 
You know, he's not a submissive. That's not a submissive person. That's not somebody you can trust. That's just a guy that's really, really big on his opinion. But that person who's actually done what they've been taught, that's somebody who showed that they have some consistency, somebody you can count on. And it says also that he may by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. In other words, he has the ability to get people over to his side instead of him just going along with every wind of doctrine, instead of him being just pulled in every direction and going along with every new fad and things, that's the last thing we want. Because you know what? That guy's going to be a trendy. That's what's happened to all these Bible college students. They're going, they're getting sent out. They've not proved themselves. They've not been tested to see if they can hold fast and teach what they've been taught. I mean, nothing that they have going, they, they haven't done it for any length of time. You know, and the, the truth is, if we actually taught this, you know, right here as a qualification and made a big deal about it, then these guys who decide, I'm just going to change my church. I'm just going to completely transform it into old-time religion, into a trendy church, would at least have the decency to say, you know what? I need to hold fast to what I've been taught for a while before I should be pastoring. But what are they doing? They're changing everything. And then you know what they call it? They call it growth. They call it maturing. But it's like, wait, what are you doing pastoring when you're not even holding, you, you haven't held on to what you've been taught for any length of time? Something's wrong with that. And that shouldn't be happening. Now, part of the problem, the reason a lot of these guys are going trendy, they, they got sent out too soon. That's all there is to it. A lot of them just got sent out way too soon. But we need to, uh, we need to make sure if when we send somebody out, it's somebody that's actually practiced what they've been taught for a length of time and proved that they can convince other people rather than them being the one being convinced all the time. Because the last thing we want to do is send somebody out and then he goes and he gets, he goes to idea day and Josh Tice talks him into putting on the skinny jeans and, you know, and then he, he goes to a city, you know, you know, passes in a, you know, some of these cities are too, you know, they're just, it's, it's difficult. All right. You know, brother Austin wants to go to Chicago someday. We send him to Chicago, this wicked city that in all reality probably needs a good old fashioned fruit roasting. All right. I threw it in there. I told you, I was gonna, we said we we're going to get it in there today. But, you know, we go and we send him there in a place like that. And then he's not proven that he can trust himself and that he can, or that we, you know, we can trust him. That he can hold fast to what he's been taught. And then the first thing he does is he does, he goes to idea day and then he's putting on the skinny jeans. He's bringing in the purple lights and he's doing all the trendy stuff, fitting in with the fruits. That's the last thing that we want to see happen. But that's happening all the time. And pastors are lamenting. What is going on? What is happening? You know what? You're not putting these guys to the test enough. You're sending them out too soon. They're not ready. And then we've just got one more city where, you know, maybe there's some good people there. You know, you know he's still going to be saved. But you know what? There's still going to be a lot of problems there because there's things that are wanting. And you know what? They'd be wanting proper leadership if, if that were to happen. We don't want to send people out too soon. I'm as anxious as anybody to start church, but we don't want to do it before we're ready. And so we need somebody who's actually continued in what they've been taught. Because he needs to be someone who changes others. We're, we're, we're going to send somebody to another city to change that city. Not for that city to change them. That's not what, that's not what we're about. We're not going to go and just try to blend in. So another thing to, uh, so that we see is they needed men who were sound and strong in their faith because there was going to be opposition they were going to be up against. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, For there are many unruly 
and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. You know, he said, this is why we need people you can count on. This is why we need somebody who's held fast to the faithful word, somebody who's held on to what he's been taught, somebody who's proved that he can exhort and convince the gainsayers. You know why? Because there's other people out there trying to influence. You know, and there, I hear a lot of pastors, too, they've got this attitude, well, you know, I just want to pastor my own church, my own town, my own cornfield. You know, I'm not looking to change everybody. I'm not looking to rock the boat. Well, hey, listen, I, 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 I hear what you're saying, you know. Nobody, you know, I, I get not wanting to make waves. I get not wanting to have controversy. But you know what? I can promise you in your town that you're in, there's some unruly and there's some vain talkers that are, going to, that are trying to change you. And you might not be trying to change anybody, but let me tell you, people are going to be trying to change you. And you know what? I got to have that attitude. You know, I just want to do my own thing in our church, but, you know, I, I'm not going to try to change anybody else. Well, they're going to try to change me. And, you know, my dad, as my dad always said, I could beat up the toughest guy in the world if he promises not to fight back. And, you know, I personally want to be on the offense. So I'm going to go out trying to change them. That's why I'm going to do, you know, podcasts like we did the other night where I'm trying to keep people from going trendy. Trying to encourage some people to stand strong in these things. That's why I'm putting these videos out because I know pastors that are giving into the pressure. They're giving into the unruly and vain talkers. They're giving into these people that are pushing all this liberalism, pushing all this modernism, pushing the, you know, pushing, you know, uh, to get rid of separation, get rid of, you know, holy music, get rid of their King James Bible. Listen, these people, are, there is a full court press on people right now to get rid of all this stuff. And if we think we're just going to sit here and just be on the defense and not affect us, we're wrong. You know what? We need to be on the offense. Because they're out there. They were out there in Titus's day. And I, I don't care where we go, what city. There's people pushing back the other way. We've got to push back in the right direction. So when we send somebody out, we need to make sure they are prepared for the challenges that are on there. The contemporary push is strong. The attack on the King James is strong. Okay, listen, I, I'm a socially aware person. The old paths crowd, we are not that appealing. Y'all understand that? Do you think when people see churches like ours getting attacked by the queers, they just, you know, there's a lot of young guys out there thinking, man, I want to get attacked. And there's some people like that. But most people aren't like that. You know, there's a lot of pastors out there. They're, you know, they, you know, they see what's going on in this church. They hear some of the preaching. And they're probably, you know, no, I probably should be preaching a little harder on some of these things. I probably should take a stronger stand in some of these areas. But, man, if our church got persecuted like that, have my congregation be gone and I'm back to work at a job. That's what they're thinking. That's what's, that's what's going on in their mind. And you know, we got to understand, man, we need to be fighting. Somebody's got to fight this stuff. Somebody's got to be preaching against the homos. Somebody's got to be preaching against the trendies. And yeah, you know, we ain't pretty, all right? We, you know, we're, 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 we're not appealing, okay? And let me tell you, that video montage of the skinny jeans preaching, I loved every bit of that preaching. I mean, it blessed my heart. It encouraged me. I laughed. I love that kind of stuff. You know, I love... The one thing I love about the IFV culture is just kind of how, you know, crude they are sometimes. I like the way they talk to the congregations, you know, where they're basically insulting them. 
You know, that's we like that, don't we? You know, you got you guys like it when I get up and and I'm calling your names. You know, the, the trendies out there. You know, the 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 you know professionally offended goofballs that follow IV preacher clips. Okay, they all get offended so bad when the preachers up there telling their people, you know, y'all are carnal, y'all are backslidden, you know. You all fell from the stupid tree and hit every branch on the way down. We're dumb enough to climb back up and fall down and hit every one of those branches again. You know, I love stuff like that. Now, and I, if I say stuff like that, you, you all don't get mad at me for that. You all enjoy that. You know, we sometimes need a kick in the pants, and some of us want it. Some of us want that kick in the pants. Some of us know we need it, and it's a part of our culture. It's how we do it. And yeah, it's repulsive to a lot of the world. But you know what? This nice guy stuff isn't working. Listen, Pastor Smiley, who dresses up, you know, just like the world in his skinny jeans, I'm telling you, he's not getting the job done. He's not changing people. He's not making them more godly. He's not getting them to stand stronger. This is, this is what works. And, you know, and, and they, they look at it and they laugh, but you know what? I love it. I love it. Uh, I, you know, every time I listen to that one part of the clip when the guys are like, I was preaching the other night on skinny jeans, you know, I love, you know how much that encourages my heart? <laughs> hey, there's guys out there that don't like this culture and they're standing up against it. And you know why we make fun of stuff like that too? Because we want, people should be ashamed of that stuff. You should be ashamed of that stuff. If you think about doing that kind of thing and you know, you think about going to, I don't even know this, I don't even know the trendy stores. Okay. You, you know, you go to the buckle or whatever. I don't know. That was one we used to, I heard it was unisex that we used to preach against. I don't know if it is anymore, but you go, you ought to be embarrassed. Something ought to bother you. You know, it ought to, you know, obviously the Holy Spirit ought to set you straight in that stuff, but you should just be embarrassed as a member of civilized society too. But you know what? There, there's no pushback on that stuff. We've got to do it. And I could talk a lot about that stuff, but I, I, I'm not stupid. I see what's going on. I see the push that's out there, and we've got to prepare people for that. We've got to prepare people to be strong, be able to stand up against attacks, to be able to just fight back on these things and change some minds. It is so important that we do this. So verse 12 says, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So notice here, the goal of this rebuke here is mainly to get them to repent. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Hey, these guys are preaching bad stuff. This is, this is dumb stuff. This is dangerous stuff. Rebuke them and do it sharply. Hey, that tells me they need to get a little rough with them sometime. That tells me, you know, if, you know, things are out of control and Ladies are getting out of control with the gospel and stuff. If a preacher gets up and calls them all, you long-tongued heifers. Now, you, some people might think that's repulsive. But you know what? That's what you need to hear. It's called, it's called a sharp rebuke. That's what, that's what that is. That's what, when you call somebody a long-tongued heifer, that's an insult. That's, that, that we, what, what, you know what? You know, Pastor Larry Brown's the one that does it. Why does he do that? So hopefully, you ladies, every time you think about going and gossiping, maybe when you look in the mirror, you'll picture a cow with a long tongue. And that's not flattering, but you know what? That's what you look like 
when you're just out there destroying people with your tongue. And I, I, don't, I don't like that kind of thing. Well, you know what? That's what we need. That's what we need. You know, thank God for a generation today. Thank God for preachers that said, run into my fist doing 90 miles an hour. You know, thank God. I, I grew up listening to Ron. Let me tell you, I grew up listening to Pat, Ron Garris. He's, he's the one that said that. You know what he used to say every time he preached to? And I loved it every time I heard it. And I'm telling you, that man, when he preached, he said some of the meanest things you'll ever hear in your life. But I got from him that he was a very loving man. That was the impression I got. When, when he would preach to teenagers, I just got the impression that he loved those teenagers. And you know what he used to say all the time? He'd say something controversial. He's like, you don't like that? Why don't you go stand behind my car when I leave? <laughs> so he would, he would, he'd say stuff like that all the time. And you know what? I would listen to him say that stuff. And, and I didn't think that. He wants to run over me with his car. It wasn't 2020 yet, folks. You know, I want, we know we didn't have this millennial generation of professionally offended people. You know what? It was funny and it was motivating too. And I, I, I love stuff like that. We, that, folks, that's what we need to get back to. That's what we need to get back to. And we need to stop getting intimidated by trendies. You know, and I'm not, I'm not intimidated when people put video clips of me out saying stuff like that. I don't have any good originals like that that I've come up with. I, I just, I'm not good at that. I, you know, I've heard so many of them this week that I wish I'd have thought of. I wish I'd have thought of, you know, the jeans so tight you could put a quarter in the back pocket and read if it's head or tails. I wish I came up with stuff like that, but I'm not that creative. But you know what? I don't mind learning from that and picking that stuff up and stealing it. Cause you know what? It's good stuff. It's good stuff, and we, we, need more, we need more preaching like that. We need more pastors preaching the other night on skinny jeans. We need that. <laughs> People think I was making fun of that. Man, I love it. <laughs> I, I get great joy. Uh, it encourages me. But sharp rebukes are needed because we want people to be sound in the faith. We want them to repent. And so right here, I think Paul, though, he's given some specifics about what they were using to deceive. All right, Because this was what they were dealing with in that time. And he said, not giving heed to Jewish fables, because he specifically mentions people who are preaching bad stuff. He's getting some specifics here. He said, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but their mind and conscience is defiled. And so, Jewish fables, that was a big thing. Obviously, that they dealt with back then. That's something that Paul would address. The Jews were constantly trying to bring in bad doctrine. And what all the specifics of that was, that I don't know. But you know what? I do know the specifics of what's trying to be brought in churches today. You know, for example, like we mentioned earlier, some of the dispensational garbage that's being preached. That's something that's being brought in. That's bad stuff. It needs to be stopped. It needs to be rebuked. This is bad stuff. That dispensationalism, you know what it's full of? Jewish fables. Jewish fables. It, it's full of it. Some of these, you know, big Zionist preachers constantly getting up and preaching Jewish fables. You know what? One of the biggest things that they're using now to, to prove a preacher of rapture, the Jewish wedding. The Jewish. Uh, can you show me where this is in the Bible? Oh, but you know, but it lines up so much with what we already believe about prophecy. Are you sure it's not a Jewish fable? Because you know where they're getting all this stuff from? Jews. They're getting it from Jewish books. They're reading commentaries from the Old Testament written by Jews. 
And then they're getting up and telling all these stories and talking about all these customs and things that they used to do back then, telling the stories of the folded napkin. That's another Jewish fable that they like to tell all the time. You know, and, and there might be some truth to some of that stuff, but are you going to build your doctrine around a story that you got from a Jew? When the Bible warns us about Jewish fables, and then we can get up and I can, we can preach a message showing clearly what the Bible says about prophecy and about the return of Christ. And then they debunk us with a Jewish fable that's not found in the Bible. It's great. It's amazing the way people never learn from these things. And so to those who are pure in mind, you know, a lot of times too, though, I don't think they see a lot of these problems. But the fact is, the people that are pushing these things, they are evil. There's a lot of people out there that are pushing garbage that's evil. And many people, they have a pure mind. They have an innocent mind. They think the best of everything. And a lot of times they don't realize how dangerous some of this stuff is. But we need to understand a lot of this stuff that's being pushed is very wicked. And these are bad people. And it's, we have a tough time imagining a guy with a suit and tie and a nice, you know, comb over hairdo with the King James Bible in his, under his arm is a bad guy. But trust me, they're there. If I was going to infiltrate the IFB, I'd dress the way I'm dressed right now. You know what? I'm trying to look. I'd try to look like them. I would use some of their vernacular. I would get up and talk about the King James Bible, and then I, you know, and get them all excited, fired up, start name dropping. Let, you know, Jack Hiles wants to roll off all over, be green. And then I'd start, I, I say all those things to get you trusting me, and then I would preach some kind of ructardation. And isn't that what they all do? You know what I might do? I might, whenever I'm teaching ructardation, I might put a picture of Jack Hiles behind me. <laughs> like Sluter. What, what, what am I doing? I'm trying to get you to let your guard down so, you, so you'll trust me while I'm about to just feed you a whole bunch of baloney. That's wrong. That, that, that is not good. So verse 16 says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work, reprobate. Now get this part here, because I don't believe this verse right here is saying that these people, that that all these people, I'm sure some are, but that all these people that they're talking about, that they're wanting to rebuke, are reprobates, because the fact, you know, we don't rebuke a reprobate so they'll be sound in the faith. Okay? You know, so obviously they're not all reprobate here, but the reason he said unto every good work reprobate is because... People like this, people who teach this kind of junk, do absolutely no good for the cause of Christ. Because another definition for the word reprobate is worthless. And so people who get caught up in these Jewish fables and get caught up in false doctrine, a lot of them might have the best intentions. They might just be ignorant. But understand, when they start preaching that junk, you know how much good they're accomplishing? None. Zero. Their works are reprobate there is no value to them there is no redeeming quality in those works doesn't always mean the individual themselves is a reprobate but if they're caught up in this kind of junk if they're doing this kind of thing they are doing nothing good for the cause of christ when it comes to the cause of christ they are worthless and they are to be rejected unless they repent unless they get right and understand a lot of this junk that's going on out there today, you know, with the trendies and people pushing a lot of this garbage, you know, for example, too, some of the people that are out there who even scoff at the King James only position, I don't think all these people are the rep are reprobates, but understand, 
If that's what you're promoting, you are accomplishing zero good for the cause of Christ. And those, and a lot of those people, that's just what they've been taught. Maybe that's how they were raised. They don't know any better. But you know what they need to be? They need to be rebuked sharply so they'll be sound in the faith. And then if they get sound in the faith, then maybe they'll start accomplishing some good for the cause of Christ. They'll actually have some value to them. But right now, while they're giving heed to Jewish fables, while they're doing all this other junk, they are not doing any good. They're doing more harm than they're doing good. And we've got to understand that that's a lot of what we're out, what we're dealing with out there today. You know, because, you know, a lot in the, in the IFB world, we've gotten into more defensive position than an offensive position. There's a lot of people out there that are just, they have the best intentions, but they don't know any better. There's a lot of people out there that I think love the Lord, but, you know, they need a good rebuke. They need a good kick in the pants. They need a good challenge. And we need people that are able to go to these places and actually be leaders. We need guys that are going to go to a town instead of just conforming to that town and conforming to all the other churches in that area. They're going to go and actually shake things up a little bit and actually change their minds while they're there. That's what we need. And, uh, and, and there are, there's a lot, and there's a lot of places today. There's a lot of places, you know, in the United States and in America where there's some good people that love the Lord. But you know, there's also things that are wanting. And one of those things that we're, that we're lacking big time is leadership. I mean, right now, I, I know so many places right now that are just ready for a church plant. But you know what we're missing? Leadership. You know, we've got to have that. It, it's necessary. And you know, the people that are in those places, I thank God for them. I, I, you know, I hope they do good works together. I, I like that they meet together many times. Sometimes they even preach to each other. And they, you know, they're, they're being organized as much as they can. But, you know, I, I pray that someday we can do something to go help and set in order the things that are wanting and get some leadership there. You know, where they do have some leadership, if it's unqualified leadership, I'm not going to beat these guys up. I'm going to try to help them get qualified. I'm going to try to help them. I'm going to help. I want to encourage them. I'm going to instruct them. I'm going to exhort them. I'm going to challenge them. That way, maybe they will become the leader that they should be. But in the, in the meantime, though, you know, it's, it's not my place to go attack these people. I'm not going to use Titus and to go attack a church where the pastor's lacking and doesn't know any better. I know two different pastors right now that are, one in particular that came from a false religion and, and has become a Baptist. You know what? He's wanting in some areas. And you know what I want to do? I want to help. You know, I, I know another pastor that I think is probably getting real close to maybe changing religions. And, and you know, and when he does, you know, a lot of people unqualified. But you know what? Okay, fine, whatever. But, you know, can we encourage him? Can we try to help him in areas where they're wanting? Paul didn't send Titus there to shut down everything that was going on. Paul sent Titus there so they could continue doing the work that they were doing there, but do it better. So they could do it right. And there were things that were wanting, and leadership was one of those. But, you know, at the same time, too, we need to understand today we are a work in progress. They needed help. They needed leadership. But they were not all bad, evil people. You know, there, and there are places that we know right now they've heard the gospel. 
They're saved. They want to get organized. They're doing their best. And we, we're not going to use these verses to hammer them. That's not what they're there for. We're going to use these verses so we can, when we can go and maybe visit these places and visit these people and we can get guidance from this to evaluate and say, you know what, this is where they're lacking in this church. Let's see what we can do to help. Let's see how we can uh, encourage them and fix some of these things. So every church is a work in progress. It says in Romans 12, 3, I think I read this this morning, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know, we're, we're all lacking in some area. So, you know, while we've got certain things down, okay, like, you know, okay, please don't take what I'm saying here too serious, all right? I'm kind of being funny. But while we have a qualified pastor in this church we don't use that to now go just cream everybody that doesn't because you know we've got areas where we're lacking too we need grace too yeah we got that one thing down and so we'll put that as a priority no that, that's not that's not what why well, that's there ephesians 4 4 says there's one body one spirit even as you are called and one hope of your calling one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. All of us needed grace. We All of us need today grace. We are all lacking in some area. And you know why we come to church? We come to get help. We come so we can try to fix these things. We don't come here so we can get evaluated. We can all figure out what's wrong with everybody and then just cream everybody with it. That's not why we do that. He goes on in verse 11, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. You know what that tells me? That they were sent to these places because the people weren't perfected yet. You know what it is? It's a work in progress for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. I don't believe that Liberty Baptist Church is achieved the perfect man into the full measure and stature the stature and fullness of Jesus Christ. I don't think we're there yet. But I think we're working towards it. I think we're on the right path. I think we're heading in the right direction. And so any church I see out there that's on the right path, heading in the right direction, you know what? I'm their biggest cheerleader. I'm their biggest fan. I'll do anything I can to support them. If they have an area where they are lacking, I will see if there's something I can do to help them in that area. And I'm not going to go and show off my knowledge of the Bible and how hardcore I am and how hardcore we are in our church and use that to declare myself the apostle and pope of that area and just try to shut these people down. And I'm afraid that's why I think some of you know that's why you read your Bible. Because it's like you're reading your Bible because you feel sorry. You know, you know you're sorry as an individual and you feel bad about yourself, and instead of fixing yourself, you know what you do? You try to find out what's wrong with everybody else in the church. And you're going you're gonna to learn Scripture so you can fix all of them. You know what? If you do that, you're a sorry church member. You stink. I hope you leave this church and never come back again. All right? I don't even want stupid trees. That doesn't even fit you because you know, you're not just stupid. You're wicked. You know? To, to every good work, you're reprobate in this church. All right, y'all feeling better yet? But if that's how you are, okay, 
then that's how that's how I feel about you. And you need to get your you just need to get your heart right and worry about yourself, worry about what God wants you to do, and then see what you can do to help other people. And learn these facts so you can fix yourself and you can use it in the area where you have authority, not to just nail everybody's problems, not so you can expose everybody. That 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 is not right. That's not why God gave us these things. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we just pray you'll help us to follow these things. Lord, help us to never forget that we're all lacking in certain areas, that we are a work in progress. And I pray you'll help us to be gracious towards others. And Lord, help us uh, if we, you know, when people are lacking, help us to offer help, encouragement, help us to, to be a, uh, someone who fills the voids, not someone who just attacks and tears down. I pray you'll help us to be able to make a difference. Lord, I thank you so much for uh, groups of people that are all over this world. Lord, meet together doing the best they can with what they have. And Lord, they don't, they, in many cases, they don't have much, but they're doing everything they can. God, I pray uh, you will fill those voids. I pray you'll send the proper leadership to those places. And Lord, I pray you'll use us to be able to help and make a difference in these areas. In your name we pray. Amen.